The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 12th Doctor story, In the Forest of the Night. I'm Don Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Father Corey totally welched on us. (laughs) He is not here today. He knew one of the most painful episodes was coming up, and he is not here. Yes, I, I just, that's it. It's not that his boss called. <laughs> no, it's not that not that his boss called at all. It's, it's a, very convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hope you're Folks, having a good time, Father Corey. Yes, yes. Uh, I want to remind everyone to uh, like the Secrets of Doctor Who on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Secrets of Doctor Who. Retweet us on Twitter where we're at SQPN. And of course, leave comments wherever you find us. Uh, I want to tell you about another show on the network you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Star Wars. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. And stick around to the end of the episode because we have some more of your great listener feedback to share with you. But uh, first, we're going to be talking about In the Forest of the Night, or as I like to call it, In the Forest of the Night at the Museum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little play off the, the, the movie. Uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? Well, after the really complex uh, summaries I've had to do lately, um, it's nice to have some simpler ones. So, this week, London and the entire world has been overgrown by a forest. There are annoying kids. The end. (laughs) Some stuff happens in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, I can go a little deeper. Uh, The the entire planet has been, it's still simple though, Uh, the entire planet has been covered in a forest that grew up overnight while Clara and Danny were hosting a sleepover for a bunch of kids at a museum. After making contact with the doctor, they assume the trees are a prelude to an alien invasion. There's lots of running through the forest instead of corridors and being menaced by wild zoo animals. And there's also a magic child who is telepathic and a giant solar flare coming to destroy the earth. Clara tells the doctor to leave and save himself since he can't stop the solar flare and save the planet. He leaves, but then realizes the trees appeared in order to absorb the solar flare. They do, and then they magically vanish. The end. <laughs> it's, it's, it's longer, and, but uh, yeah, no less. Uh, it's just running indicative. around through the forest and yeah. being menaced by zoo animals. It's, there's nothing significant in the plot. Right. You know, as I was thinking about this one, it's like Moon Egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it's actually called, but kill the moon. moon, kill the moon. It's completely implausible premise. Mm-hmm. It's a fairy tale story, and that seems to be prevalent in this season. Like this season, they they these two, and I think there's at least another one in this oh, season. And it's not just this season; it's a Stephen Moffat thing. Um, yeah. Like the Wedding of River Song is also science fairy tale. And I can go along with science fairy tale to a certain extent, but I have in my notes science fairy tale done wrong. Yeah. Because this is this is not a satisfying episode. It is it's just it's boring and it's filled up with a lot of other stuff like this is Danny Pink's final full outing because he gets killed next episode. Right. And he there's a good bit of drama in this one. Part of the running around 
is that Clara has not been honest with Danny about the fact that she is um that she is still seeing the doctor. And because she told Danny episodes ago she was going to break it off with the doctor and she hasn't. And she's been hiding it from Danny and now th- she, now they run into the doctor in the middle of a crisis and it becomes obvious that she's still been working with him. And so we have drama with Danny learning that Clara has has not been honest with him. And at the end of the episode, you know, he tells her he just wants to he just wants to know the truth. He's not going to judge her or anything. He just wants to know what's true. And she starts to tell him and he shuts her off and says, no, 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 go home. Think about it and then tell me. Um, I think I think you owe me that. And she agrees she does. And it's like. Okay, um actually no. This is not an ode thing and the entire purpose of that is to push off the phone call so that he can die in the middle of it next episode while she's right. t- trying to tell him the truth. Yeah, when we talk about that, I have I have words. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I just Yeah, I don't understand what yeah, anyway, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, in this one it's all about it's like repairing the relationship and really building up Danny so that next episode's loss is supposed to be felt by the, the, the audience even more. And so, yeah, we have this, you know, kids at the museum on an overnight, which is a thing I've done it with uh, scouts, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's a, the sleepover at the museum. Never, never did that. I mean, we had a museum in my town, but we never did that, but okay. I slept over on a battleship once. That was kind of interesting. Uh-huh. The battleship Massachusetts, which is a World War II ship. Oh. And uh, I slept too, over on that with my nephew. Too bad it wasn't the USS Hornet. They they have a whole community of ghosts there. It's a fascinating ghost ecosystem. Oh, there's another one that's even closer to me. The USS Salem has mm-hmm. ghosts on it, and they mm. do ghost tours, including uh, detectors and things like that. So that's a whole not, that's a whole other thing. But uh, we, you and I could talk about that later because mm-hmm. I I may I may go do that for for mysterious world. Uh, but in any case, um, so yeah, they're sleeping over, and yeah, these the kids that they they claim are gifted kids, and then Clara the, later and, on and says these these kids clearly are not gifted, and they point they point that out. This is a group of misfits. This is some kind right. of group of troubled kids. That they're that Clara has been lying to and referring to them as gifted and talented when really they are they're Not. on the other end of the spectrum, <laughs> right? Well, and it does it show, shows an interesting pattern in Clara to lie to people to tell them what she thinks they want to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's, it's a bit of a character flaw in in Clara. There, as I, I, I've been noticing that they've been bringing out. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, we start with this little girl wandering around in this forest with the TARDIS, Maeve. knocking on the yeah, t- knocking on the TARDIS door, and the doctor invites her in. And I do like this, like where she's not at all surprised at the TARDIS being bigger on the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, kid kids are good at accepting implausibilities that defy their expectations. She also says she was told that it was bigger on the inside. Yeah, did and we the- ever? The inference yeah. is she was told by Clara because she thought yeah. it was Clara, but it was actually these voices of these little sprites that that are almost entirely unconnected to the plot. Yeah, I, I mean, are they the voices of the trees? That's kind of what I was thinking. <sighs> Except they're not trees. They are. They identify themselves as some kind of little nature thing. That has existed longer than mankind and that will exist long after mankind. 
and and she perceives them in some way. Um, but they're not exactly the trees, but they're sort of responsible for the trees. The only way they manifest in the plot is when Maeve is running through the forest, she's swatting her hands in front of her face as she's running like yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm going, I, at, I took note of this before they explained it, but apparently, so this child is telepathic. She's perceiving things that other people don't, and that's fine. Then the doctor modifies the sonic somehow to make what she's swatting at manifest. And it's little sparkles of light that are flying around her. And they're these little nature sprites. But yeah. they're, they're only in this one scene. They speak through her and explain what they are. But they don't explain clearly their connection with the trees. So the net effect is they're one more thing that has been added to this episode to pad the runtime. And yeah. you could remove them from the story and it would play out exactly the same way. Were the trees themselves sentient or were these sprites making the trees grow? They don't make it clear. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's very confusing. You know what this kind of reminds me of is that line, the Witch in the Wardrobe Christmas special with the with the Eleventh Doctor. Oh, that they uh -huh. did. yeah, yeah. I mean, where the there was entirely a unnecessary one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where you have this like the forest that's alive and sent, you know, sentient and manifests itself through the children. I mean, it, in a way, it's they've kind of recycled that plot, which is appropriate and, for wood. And it would, and it would be fine if they pointed that out, they could hang a lantern on that and have the doctor say in my last incarnation, I encountered a bunch of sentient trees at Christmas once. Yeah. And they don't. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it is. So yeah, it is a, it is an odd story. Uh, so we have, uh, oh, I do oh. like also yeah. it. Speaking of things that are completely irrelevant to the plot, the doctor, right. And Clara and the kids. This movie suffers, or this episode suffers from the same problem as the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. In <laughs> yes. Indiana Jones is, or or the movie All the President's Men. Nixon still would have gotten out of office if Woodward and Bernstein had never existed. They they make it seem like Woodward and Bernstein are doing something important in that movie, and they're yeah. completely not because it was not the Washington Post that brought down Nixon. It was the congressional investigations. And so you could remove Woodward and Bernstein from that story, and it would have played out the same way. Same thing with Indiana Jones uh, and the and, or Raiders of the Lost Ark. He doesn't do anything in the story, ultimately. He's just our viewpoint character. Yeah. But if you pull him out of the movie, the Nazis still would have gotten the Ark. They still would have taken it to the island. Their faces still would have melted. It would have played out exactly the same way. Right. The, the only difference is it doesn't end up in a warehouse. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah uh, it would be on an right. island. Yeah. But it would, either way, it's hidden away from public view in the end. Yes. And so the difference is that um, All the President's Men and Raiders of the Lost Ark are good movies <laughs> that can pull off the main characters being irrelevant to the action, yes. whereas this does not have that benefit. And the Doctor and Clara are just irrelevant. The same thing would have happened. The trees appeared overnight. The Doctor didn't have anything to do with that. He doesn't affect the trees in any way. And then they still would have absorbed the solar flare and magically vanished. And if the Doctor and Clara had not been in the story, the exact same set of events would have played out for Earth. Right. It's very... It feels like 
it's all a premise just to get the doctor and Clara and Danny in several conversations. It's like mm-hmm. that really it all exists. You know, all of the sci-fi fan or science fantasy, uh, you know, elements are just there to create these conversations that they have in order to, to build up for what's coming next week. You know, <laughs> yeah, maybe, I mean, I, I, some, somebody had to pitch this idea. Yeah, and my guess is that the the pitch wasn't let's build up for next week, but let's have the doctor in a forest that magically appears and right and, and yeah. <laughs> so uh, there are there are a few things that I thought were kind of fun or interesting, like mm-hmm. um, the fact when the doctor tries to take off with the TARDIS to go to London because he at first he doesn't think he's in London; he thinks he's landed somewhere else to go there it keeps saying you've reached your destination like a gps i thought that yeah. was kind of funny that yeah. it was doing that um then well yeah th- there's some quibbles like why is there no one else in the museum apart from one guard you know in fact where are all the people like like in this city we well, see a couple of parents but mm-hmm. and then some workers who are about trying to burn the forest but that's it like well, we are in a public space, and so people would have been at home, you know, at during the night when the forest grew up, and then in the morning they came out, and there's a forest here, so that's going to impede their movements. And we have that montage of TV sequences, yeah. you know, with stations all over the world announcing this forest is grown, and please remain at home and be calm. So I think that's meant to be the explanation for why we don't see more people. I guess, yeah. I mean, I just feel like like Trafalgar Square is a major place in the city, and I I can imagine you know London is is a major cosmopolitan city that it would, mm-hmm. that stuff goes on all night. You know, I just I don't know. It felt like it was a little bit contrived. This whole like, well, we don't want to have all these extras. We don't pay for all these extras, so let's you know pretend they're all at home. Um, what about this whole thing about them trying to burn the trees, but there's too much oxygen? Is that plausible? No, <laughs> that's what I thought. Like, is it oxygen a key component of, of flame? That's you know, uh Yeah, so so we should probably explain that. The the government decides to because the trees have like grown up in the middle of streets and stuff, it's impeding people's ability to move around the city. And so they decide to burn select corridors in the forest to allow people to be able to move around again. And and the trees somehow resist that and yeah. it, it's tied up with the, with the way they're going to, and, and it's, we see them, we see a defoliation crew trying to burn the trees and it failing. And that's another one of our sort, one of our sort of scare moments. We're meant to initially be frightened of all the guys in the, in the shiny aluminum foil hazmat suits and, with the flamethrowers. And yeah. then it turns out they're not scary. They're just, a foil for oh you foolish humans <laughs> right. um, trying to burn down the forest, but it's 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 set up for how the trees. It's showing us the trees can absorb fire or right. de- or neutralize fire, and that's a setup for what they're going to do with the solar flare. Except solar flares and earthly fire are two different things, and yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, just like the piling implausibilities and implausibilities, like the whole like the trees grow up and therefore all of the those roads are now destroyed and ruined because these roots mm. have grown, you know, the trunks have grown up through them. No, they trees and, magically and, repair themselves. And where were the where were the seeds under the roads? I mean, 
those trees had to come from something. <laughs> right, right. It's just it's ba- it's baffling how we're. I mean, again, it's it's a fantasy. It's a fairy tale. Uh, you know, and we don't we don't ex- expose expect scientific plausibility from fairy tales, but it's you know this isn't a show about magic. It's a show about you mm-hmm. know an alien in a in a time in a time traveling box. I uh, it's just it should be a show about magic more. You know, they shouldn't <laughs> always Scooby do it, and occasionally they right. don't. Like in the demons, that white witch in the village, she's yeah. a, she's a magic user. Yeah. Yeah. And so they should give themselves permission to use magic more than they do. It would help with the explanation some of the time, <laughs> rather than trying to make something that sounds scientific as an explanation for what's clearly ma- a magical effect. Right. That's the that's the thing is is that they're 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 proposing it as you know this is plausible, but it's not under the laws of science. So yeah, uh, yeah. I do like though that they they did think through one aspect of this, which is if these trees grew in one night. They're not going to have rings, yeah. Because because rings are caused by the uh, climatic variations over the course of a year, and these trees aren't going to have that. They're not going to have climatic variations in one night. So once you get once you take off the bark, it's just going to be one solid thing without all the rings. Right, and although you, you don't read rings in the like the age of a tree in the rings of a branch, that's an actually important point. Like you can't tell yeah. how old a tree is because that branch has not existed for the entirety li- entire life of the of the tree. Right, so, you got to go yeah, for the trunk. Yeah, yeah, but th- that is a good point. Like it was just like it was solid, which would be weird to look at, like a solid mm-hmm. non ringed uh, tree branch or a trunk. Um, they they. They, the, with Danny and Clara, they kind of bring up their personalities a little bit. Where Danny, in the midst of this, is focused on watching after the kids, mm-hmm. while Clara is focused on the excitement of the weirdness. Mm-hmm. Um, although Danny's defaults to his military training, and he treats them like soldiers, and he keeps calling them team. And the kids are like, "Why do you keep calling us team?" <laughs> yeah, I I thought that was I thought the kids' reaction was was annoying. Um, they even have. Because they're trying to work this smart aleck kid, you know, theme. Yeah. And and so the kids object to whatever the adults do or frequently object. And like at one point, Danny says, okay, team, let's go do whatever it is. And and one of the kids says, we will only if you stop calling us team. And it's like, how, how plausible is that? If I was right. a kid, I mean, I remember being a kid. If, if my coach or whatever teacher referred to the class as team, I'm not going to object to that. Right. It's, it, yeah. Well, it's like a problem like a lot of TV has with kids is mm-hmm. they portray them as smaller, snarky adults. Like just mm-hmm. the, the things they say are not plausible kid things. They are. Yeah. They're too, they're just whatever like adult wish fulfillment in a sense. Like when I was a kid, I wish I was this snarky. Um, it was like that with uh, the girl in the um, when the 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 couple episodes ago when the doctor was the kid was the custodian. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the I, I can never remember the, any of the characters' names, but that girl there, she was so very um, Courtney. Yes, Courtney, and she she was snarky and oh, and talked back and the two kids that Clara babysat for. Right, right. It's like all like all kids in in Moffat's Doctor Who are like snarky and presumptuous and precocious and yeah, it, it, it's not it's not and not prepossessing. Right, 
I mean, at least find some kids who are different. You know, that's the other thing is, is sure. There are, there are, I've, I know kids in my, my, my kids scout troop who are, who are kind of like that. They say things like that, but then there are other kinds of kids. So depict them, you know, it was, it is kind of weird. Um, you know, have you ever seen the M night Shyamalan movie, the happening? Mm-mm. Not so that one. The, I've seen other M night Shyamalan movies yeah. that to some extent happened. <laughs> this may be his worst movie. And, mm. uh, it, it was about, um, the earth coming alive and basically killing people because we were killing them. The, the trees, the trees oh. were, were causing people to go insane. And then they would, you know, do things that were self-destructive in, in various ways. Um, mm. and so people and people trying to survive this. And I'm like, you know, this is kind of like a little less annoying and deadly, the happening, uh, which is not saying much, but it, it's this idea that, it kind of feeds into this whole like humans are a plague on the planet sort yeah. of thing. You know, Gaia wants to take care of us and we keep messing with her and and if only we would let Gaia, you know, nurture us, we would be we'd be much better off. It, it just kind of, I don't know. Yeah, it's condescending. It, it, you can do nature disaster movies without creepy nature disaster movies without that humans are a plague business, which is so tired and I've seen it so much and it, yeah. I, I, who cares about that? Um, and it's not true and it's scientifically implausible. Right. Um, but you can do creepy nature disaster movies like Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Yeah. Okay. The birds just freak out and start menacing humans for some reason, but it's not our fault. They're just doing it and it's creepy. Right. Which makes it creepier because it's like without, there's no explanation. Yeah, exactly. We have, uh, the parents, the kids' parents who are kind of freaking out and are, you know, we who get are all sing, single parents. It seems yes. There's always single parents in uh, Moffat's time, is, um, and they're pretty clueless because they're they they're thinking that the trees are the result of government decisions or something. Well, I wish they'd consulted us. You know, that's like before they planted all these trees. I mean, it just makes the adults look stupid, uh, which is kind of yep. I don't know. It, you see that a lot. So you have the snarky kids who are you know a little uh precocious and you have their clueless parents i don't know it's just it, there's something off about it mm-hmm. uh, um, then we have this um this whole thing about the doctor figuring out the flares and he he says oh tunguska and this other event were previous versions of this the yeah so what do you what do you so he Tunguska is a place in Siberia. It's in the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union. And in, or at the time in 1908, the Russian Empire. And um, something came into Earth's atmosphere and exploded. And to this day, there's discussion about what exactly was it. Um, leading contenders are uh, a part of an asteroid or part of a comet. Although there are more exotic theories like a micro black hole or which might've even passed into the earth or um, an alien spaceship or things like that. But there was this huge atmosphere airburst atmospheric explosion that flattened a bunch of trees and left no crater in the ground. That's why it was an atmospheric explosion, not a, not a, not a not a terrestrial impact. Mm. And nobody is really sure what caused it. Here the doctor says it's essentially the same thing. And that the trees in Siberia grew to deal with the problem. Except 
no, they didn't grow overnight to deal with the problem. They just have trees in Siberia. <laughs> yes. And he also names another event and that apparently is fictional that didn't really happen as far as I've been able to determine, but uh, at least I based on a quick look it didn't seem to have happened and so they may have just made that up so he could cite two precedents instead of one right makes it more believable yeah. i guess when you cite two. Oh, also like kill the moon we have yep. another everyone in the audience needs to clap their hands for tinkerbell moment oh yeah yeah where instead of voting on do we kill the moon or not by turning on or off our nights so that really only north america and part of europe gets to vote <laughs> The uh, they use the TARDIS to call every phone on Earth and tell people not to harm the trees because it's yeah. gonna the trees are gonna deal with the solar flare. Yeah, yeah. The again, just like oh well, just if a little girl asks them in English, everyone will, yeah. will listen to her. Yeah. I know. I thought about the language. I, I assume the TARDIS is translating. Its translation circuit is engaged for those phone calls. But <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, there is one point where the doctor kind of makes this reference to why do we find forests creepy? Why do oh, we, as humans, find it creepy? I had this in my notes. The doctor says, yeah. the forest is mankind's nightmare. And it's like, dude, do you know any terrestrial evolutionary biology? <laughs> the forest is where our ancestors grew up. We love the forest. We build parks. Because when even in even in even in our own ideal lawns, we want I mean, this is the ideal. Not everyone affords this, but yeah. we want grass and trees and uh, and and a, and a pool of water, you know, whether right. it's a swimming pool or a fountain or something. We want those elements. We want trees, water and grass. Yeah, that's our evolutionary heritage. That's what we as a species love. We are not Gila monsters that would prefer living in the desert with rocks and sand and desert scrub. Right. What people are afraid of is what lives in the forest in the dark. We're afraid yeah. of wolves and tigers, which we get to see in, in this episode. Yeah. And, and which is where the title comes from because it's, it's, it's the poem, um, tiger, tiger. Um, yep. and so the, it's got the famous opening lot by Blake. I want to say, Yes. Um, but it's got the famous opening light, uh, line, tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night. What immortal hand or eye framed thy fearful symmetry? And so we've got a tiger in this for one scene. Mm -hmm. It just, all it does is come on and get men and menace people for a few seconds before Danny Pink flashes a flashlight in its eyes and it leaves. If only and that, people could have flashlights to ward off all the tigers. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so here's the thing. The episode is called In the Forest of the Night, After the Tiger, and the entire episode takes place during the daytime. <laughs> right. So it's like, you could have come up with a better title, guys. This is, right. this is the title you have focuses the attention on the tiger which completely underwhelms in the episode as the basis of a title. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the the tiger in this was CGI and um, stock footage, and neither of them worked very well. Um, I mean, they were okay, you believe it at first, but you you, you a little too much scrutiny and you, you see right through it. But uh, it wasn't believable, the, the interaction with the tiger. You know, again, 
Danny's standing there on the same side of the fence with all the kids with yeah. the tiger, and the tiger runs away. Okay, that doesn't make any sense, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Incidentally, yes, I'm aware that in the forest of the night could also be a reference to the forest that grew overnight. But if you yeah. know your if you know your English literature, the title is going to point at the tiger. Right. Right. Um, we have this subplot involving Maeve, the telepathic girl, who apparently her older sister had run away, mm-hmm. and Although she was, they, she's been they, traumatized by it. Yeah, they just say they say disappeared or vanished. And right. so they don't know that she ran away. They're they're afraid it may have been something more deadly than that. Right, right. And so she's been on medication to treat her anxiety, and uh, the and you know I I kind of dislike this whole thing this this part especially because mm-hmm. the doctor sort of dismisses you know medication for for mental health reasons and sort of like why are you like. Putting like I, I know he means this particular girl who's got this particular gift, but nobody knows that she has this gift, and so it comes across as this general disdain for you know uh, pres- mental health uh, care. Yeah, uh, so it rem- this moment in the episode reminded me of the series Fringe. Uh, if you've ever seen yep. that, one of the characters is uh, is um, Oh, I'm blanking on the actor's name. It'll uh, John, Noble. John Noble. John Noble. Yeah. Um, he plays a character named uh, Walter uh, Bishop, and he's a mad scientist uh, who is older and cranky. And he will say things like this. But he'll encounter people on Fringe who say things that sound mentally ill. And unlike other people, he will take them seriously and say, you know, yeah, if this woman told you she was out of your body and killed this other person, why aren't you believing her? She's confessing. Um, right. And and so I, I, I related the doctors, don't give her her pills right now because we need her to tune into this thing and the pills will shut it off as um, as essentially the same thing. But he does say it with an annoying, excessive bombast that is meant to show that he's out of touch with, in part, even though he's right in this case, it's meant to show he's out of touch with human realities because that's who the 12th yeah. Doctor is. He's out of touch with human realities. Yeah. I mean, it's, there was an earlier point where he sort of disseems, why do you always treat, you know, people like this with, with these things, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I get it. You're right. Like, that's, I think that's what it's meant to, be, to do. But it, I don't know. Uh, we, you know, as someone who has kids who are, you know, uh, uh, get treated for, uh, you know, issues like this, uh, you know, anxiety issues, it, it kind of struck home a little differently this time watching it than the last time I watched it. Uh-huh. Um, but he does say about Maeve because, you know, of this subplot about her missing sister, um, why she's more attuned to what's going on around them than anyone else. It, it, he says she's lost someone, and people who've lost someone, they're always listening, always looking, always hoping, so they notice more, they hear more. So that's what he's saying is, is like, because she's lost, she's instinctively looking. Yeah, okay, whatever, dude. Um, <laughs> I've, I've lost someone, and, and I didn't have magical visions afterwards. Right, right, right. Yeah, there's a, it's, it's somewhat poetic, yeah, I guess, is, a, is, is a one way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, another, another thing that's in this episode that's a little interesting is, um, the doctor at one point says that the earth, the planet grows through a series of catastrophes. 
yes. like the Ice Age and now apparently the Tree Age. Right. And so this view is known as catastrophism, and it's actually an important view in the history of science. Because there's a debate in the history of science about how do the things around us on Earth, you know, things like the Grand Canyon or other things, form? Is it through a slow process of of minor changes that build up over vast periods of time, which is a view known as uniformitarianism, that the same processes in nature happen uniformly over long periods of time? Or do they get created suddenly through massive catastrophes? And historically, there's been a debate between uniformitarians and catastrophists. Uh, these days, the, the generally received answer in science is it's a mix of the two, that during most of history, uniformitarianism applies, but periodically there are massive catastrophes, and both of them contribute to the formations we see around us geologically. We talked about that in an episode of Mysterious World or mm-hmm. several uh, yeah, on, on Young Earth. On the, on the Young Earth and the Great Flood. Yes. Yep. Uh, so one thing that's interesting about this is the misdirection, which is and – and Moffat has done this in other episodes and Doctor Who does this a lot, where we think that it's everything is going one way. The trees are there are the enemy and it, and it turns out that the, the, the Doctor and Clara are wrong. The trees are not the enemy. They're the savior. They're the, they're the good guy. And so there's a sort of – they kind of rely on this misdirection stuff a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> in in Moffat's time. Um, I guess it's a substitute for real plotting mm-hmm. <laughs> in this one. Uh, so th- that I, th- I thought that was interesting. Um, there is this, you know, in the end, the, they are convinced that the Earth is about to be destroyed, and mm-hmm. the Doctor wants to take take them, you know, all the kids and Danny and Clara into the TARDIS. Well, so there's a bit more of a setup than that because um, the doctor – Clara keeps poking the doctor in the episode to do do something that will solve the problem. And he, he, he says, I can't. And he says that repeatedly. And they realize the solar flare is coming and it's like, this is physics. I can't fight physics. And um, now what he could do in Jodie Whittaker's era of Doctor Who is take the TARDIS into space and let the let it absorb the solar flare for you. Right. Um, but uh, but he says he can't, and so Clara then says, "Well, if you can't save the planet, then save what you can. Let's get Danny and me and the kids. Let's get us all back to the TARDIS, and at least we can survive." And this, the Doctor agrees to do, and this actually draws on his backs on Peter Capaldi's history with the show. Because he was in that role in the fires of Pompeii, where the doctor yep. and Donna realized they couldn't, the doctor could not stop Pompeii from happening, and 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 Donna insisted that he, and he was about to walk away, and Donna insisted that he save someone, just save somebody, save save who you can, and he he saved this guy that was and his family. The guy was played by Peter Capaldi. And then when they hired Peter Capaldi for Doctor Who, um, for the role of Doctor Who, they they used that in his backstory and said that the reason he chose this face was to remind him to always do this, to always save what you can. And so Clara's mm. – this is a nice point in the writing. This is where the writing is the most interesting, which, yeah. is, which is why I mentioned this part of the show in my capsule review. 
So he agrees to save the people he can, and he takes them to the TARDIS, and then Clara changes her mind. And it's like, okay, now you get in the TARDIS and leave. And he's like, but I'm going to save these people. And she's like, no, they're going to want to live with their families. If they they survive, they will never stop missing their parents and 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 I'm going like so what <laughs> they'll be alive okay they'll be alive <laughs> they may have a regret but oh, but that's you know they, I think they and their parents would choose for the children to survive yes. you're making this decision for them and you shouldn't but letting that pass the doctor's like well then why won't you come you know because right. she's his traveling companion and she's like, don't make me say it. And he, he does. And she finally says, because I don't want to be the last of my kind, which is what he is. Right. And so so go and save yourself and leave. And he does. And this is where the writing is the most compelling because it's playing on the doctor's identity here. Save mm-hmm. who you can, the last of your kind, and then he actually makes the choice and leaves. And and that's that's the most interesting the show ever gets in this episode. Right. And then he once he's up in space, sitting around in the TARDIS watching video of the solar flare, it suddenly occurs to him that the magical trees are gonna save everybody. Yes. And then he comes back. And and uh, like we always do in Moffat, we undo the drama. We always un like we always come back from the the final thing to something lesser. Um, it doesn't undo the that conversation and the impact of it. I get I think because the Doctor will come back to this this Id- idea of his own identity in the next season. Uh, yeah, is it the next season in the next season. Yeah. Oh, uh, also, Clara lied to him to get him back to the TARDIS. It was never her plan to have him save the kid. She didn't just change her mind. She only appeared to. Right. And, and so, um, so rule one, Clara lies. <laughs> the doctor lies and Clara's becoming the doctor. Yeah. Um, and there is, um, more implausibility, the solar flare, even if the trees absorbed the solar flare, the coronal mass ejection, they would still wipe out all the electronics and satellites and all that sort of stuff, too. Super mega Carrington event. Yeah. 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 But moving on. And <laughs> afterwards, the trees magically vanish. And it's like, <sighs> where is all this mass going? Right. You know, all, I mean, all it, the energy that there was required to, to grow <sighs> them, too. Where'd that come from? Yeah. It, oh, man. Even if we let you, Stephen Moffat, create these trees, <laughs> they're going to be trees, dead trees, or possibly living trees all over the place after this is done. Well, like, you hey, know? we don't have to worry about chopping down trees anymore. There's trees everywhere. We can chop down all the trees. No more recycling paper. <laughs> yeah. And furthermore, look at your own previous example, Tunguska. The trees didn't magically vanish there. They were falling right. all over the place. Right, right. That's how we knew what happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, more implausibilities. Uh, Danny rejects uh, the, the the chance to go see a space wonder, like to, to go to go see, you know, the trees yeah. disappear, just so um, we can butter up Clara with "You're as amazing as anything I could see in the universe." Right, right, right. Yeah, nice, nice line there, Danny. Um, the doctor says the human superpower is forgetting. Like, Clara's like, no, we'll, no one will ever forget this, uh, which he we kind of put a pin in this because obviously we can't have the world from this point on 
all being affected by the trees overnight. Like people will forget. Um, if you remembered how things feel, the doctor says, you'd stop having wars and stop having babies, which I think is actually an interesting point. Like um, they actually say that women, um, the memory of how much childbirth hurts fades with time. And part of that is the uh, is the oxytocin from nursing babies and that sort of thing. Um, it, the, the memory of the pain fades because if women could remember exactly how it felt to give birth, they would only ever do it once. And that would be the end of uh, the of, of humanity. Um, so it's kind of an interesting point to make that humans are good at forgetting things um, like also forgetting the pain of war. Um, but. People aren't going to forget these tre- the trees growing overnight, although they apparently have forgotten the moon egg, so who knows? Yeah, yeah but, well, they forgot the moon egg in the future. Right, it was right, right, but in the, yeah, in the future. Speaking of the future, Clara points out that she's seen the future, and yes. she's seen multiple futures, although I don't necessarily recall her seeing multiple futures, but she certainly saw different futures in the main timeline. And the doctor says, yes, and they're all about to be canceled, and I'm going, okay. You you established in New Who the concept of a fixed point in time where it always must happen a certain way. Right. How are you undoing all of that? Because <laughs> some of those fixed points were in the future yeah. from this moment. Yeah. <sighs> yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yet another. Let's not let you don't look too closely. Don't look under the covers there. Let's, let's look too closely. What's going on here? Uh, and then in the end, we have uh, we, they kind of wrap up the Maeve's missing sister story, um, yeah, storyline where because at the end of the phone call, she says, "Oh, and Annabelle, whatever her last name is, please come home." And then at the end, she's hiding behind a bush, which magically vanishes, revealing the sister is back. Right, right, yeah. Um, you know the feel good moment at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there is one little uh, Easter egg in this. There, we see one of the uh, double decker buses. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Little- and there's a there's an ad on the side for it for Doctor Who featuring Peter Capaldi and some other woman, not not Clara, not uh, um, uh, Jenna Coleman, but somebody else, uh, which is kind of funny. But, but uh, and it's specifically an ad for I think it's season eight of the show, which is the season we're watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So kind of funny. They, they they've done these sorts of allusions to the show within the show in the past of a few times but yeah like at the end of the seventh doctor episode the one set in 1963 with the daleks and as the final episode is closing we are watching a tv in a british woman's home and and the announcer says and coming up next a new science fiction series doctor and then it cuts (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's right that's right remembrance of the daleks i think is the yeah it says here yeah. in the tardis wiki so uh any other notes on this episode jimmy good riddance <laughs> that's, that's right all right uh so yeah that's enough of that discussion let us go to the feedback i promised earlier oh cool uh we have some feedback on our fourth doctor story that we discussed the hand of fear uh, this came from Robert Hawkins on YouTube, who wrote, uh, Originally, Sarah's last story was supposed to end with her sacrificial death, which I think would not have gone over well. The other companions who died were either very brief, pretty much universally hated, or it was undone. Like so, with Clara. Like with Clara, yes. She was uh, dead and un- then undeaded. She has, <laughs> Clara is undead. Um, or Bill. Yep. Yes. Or Danny, for that mm-hmm. matter. 
Uh, well, Danny sort of came back, but then was permanently written out. And he's a zombie Cyberman now. And yes. it's just like, ick. Yes. Moffat just can't kill anyone, but it, it just, he doesn't, like, nobody dies. He can ruin them. Yes. <laughs> he, he can ruin them, but nobody dies. Uh, that's, that's my motto for Moffat. But thank you, Robert, for the feedback. We really appreciate it. We love getting feedback from everyone. Eldred must live. Eldred must live. Uh, and apparently so does Clara. Mm-hmm. So we'd, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Doctor Who, including Ryan N., Rebecca Z., Father Andrew W., Mark W., and Father Thomas L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. This StarQuest show is also brought to you in part by Jacqueline Brown, the best-selling author of The Light Series. Check out her new release, Altered, on Amazon or any fine bookstore. Learn more about her and her work at sqpn.com slash brown. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode for us. So that's it from us. We would love to hear what you think of this 12th Doctor story, Forest of the Night. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing a big finish audio story featuring Missy and River Song called The Bechdel Test. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, I am Dr. Idiot. <laughs>